we've got our prayer walk coming up this Saturday is, is going to be when our church is going to, going to go pray. And so we encourage you guys uh, to, to join us in that, right? Because we're going to have a good time. We're going to go out and pray this, this Saturday morning. Um, but with that being said, uh, today's message, um, I, I, want to, I want to talk about, uh, there's this idea of sanctity of life, and I, and I think... That idea is good and, it, and it's proper and it needs to be spoken on. Um, sometimes whenever it comes to the topic of abortion, this isn't something that we typically talk about in church. It's just not necessarily broached very often. And so today we're going we're gonna to talk about it just a little bit. Um, I'm, I'm going to try not to take too long. Uh, notice the word there was try. I'm going to try not to take too long today because I do want to give time for Shailene to come up. But um, one of the things she was telling me was she said that they typically speak after the, the preacher. And she said that she was at a church not too long ago where the guy got up and preached for two hours. Yeah, yeah. So next time you complain about me preaching long, just know it could be worse. It could be much worse. Um, so today we want to get started. I want you to turn with me to Joshua chapter 20. Joshua chapter 20 is where we're going to start, verses 1 through 6. We'll get there in just a minute. But first, let me just tell you something. Um, did you know World Health Organization um, did a study a couple years ago? And, and what they said was, of the records that they can find, because not all countries report, um, but they, they think that there are somewhere around 73 million abortions around the world every year. 73 million abortions every year. That's from World Health Organization. That's not a, a Christian group. Um, and, and then I saw another, uh, another thing that came out. It, it's old. It's from 2015. But it said that 70% of North American abortions are by women who identify as Christians. People that are sitting um, on church pews every Sunday morning. Uh, some of the some of the organizations, some of the churches that are most staunchly against abortions, like the Catholic Church, um, the Protestant Church, especially like non-denominational evangelical churches like us, um, we make up a large chunk of abortions in America. That's just something to think about, because what we think sometimes, I think, is we come in and we see all the stuff going on about Roe versus Wade, and we see all the things in the news about abortion clinics and all that kind of stuff, and we think... Oh, it's, it's other people out there. But can I tell you something today? We need to recognize the fact that it's people right here. It's people right here. It's us. We are the ones that are dealing with this. And, and so what I think we do sometimes is we quote these verses and, and we get mad at, at mamas and we pray for, for unborn babies. And, and that's good. Um, this morning, Pastor Jonathan led us in an awesome prayer for an unborn child that was amazing. But sometimes I think we think as long as we pray for the unborn, that we're doing our job. And as long as we get mad at the mamas for what they're doing, then we're doing our job. But, but the fact is, it's really the mama that needs the most work. It's the mama that needs the most love. It's the mama that needs the most care. It's the mama that needs Jesus. And as a church, what we've done is we've rejected people that are different than us. We've rejected people and we've silenced people. And we tell everybody, um, maybe by our actions and our attitudes, we tell everybody just to keep quiet when it comes to the subject of abortion. And I feel like as a church in general, universal, that we need to repent of that. We need to apologize for that because that's on us. That's on us. And so today what I want to talk about is, is this... Um, idea out of Jonathan chapter, I mean Joshua chapter 20. Um, it's also found in Numbers, and, and it was the idea of a city of refuge. So um, in my Bible reading, uh, it, it's, it, I, I do uh, the plan I use, it does 
like three or four chapters out of the Old Testament and then usually one or two chapters out of the New Testament. And so this came across one of my Old Testament readings the other day and it, it just kind of struck me. In, um, and, and so I want to read this to you. Joshua chapter 20, uh, verses 1 through 6. It says this, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Tell the Israelites to designate the cities of refuge as I instructed you through Moses, so that anyone who kills a person accidentally or unintentionally may flee there and find protection from the avenger of blood. When they flee to one of these cities, they are to stand in the entrance of the gate and state their case before the elders of that city. Then the elders are to admit the fugitive into their city and provide a place for them to live among them. If the avenger of blood comes in pursuit... The elders must not surrender the fugitive because the fugitive killed their neighbor unintentionally and without malice aforethought. They are to stay in that city until they have stood trial before the assembly and until the death of the high priest who is serving at that time. Then they may go back to their own home um, in the town which they fled. Numbers chapter 35 tells us the same thing. Same exact story, same exact commandment, but um, Numbers, uh, this is actually Moses' writing, so he, he's going to add a few uh, little tidbits in here that Joshua didn't add. So Numbers 35, 25 through 28, it's talking about the, the same city of refuge, how they operate. It says the assembly must protect the one accused of murder from the avenger of blood and send the accused back to the city of refuge, which they fled. The accused must stay there until the death of the high priest, who was anointed with the holy oil. But if the accused ever goes outside the city limits, uh, the limits of the city of refuge to which they fled, the avenger of blood finds them outside the city. The avenger of blood may kill the accused without being guilty of murder. The accused must stay in the city of refuge until the death of the high priest. We already knew that. Only until the death of the high priest may they return to their own property. So right off the bat, you're like, Gabriel, what does that have to do with sanctity of life, abortion, and mamas? Um, well, Here's what I want to explain what that means. So, so the cities of refuge, here's what they were in the Old Testament. It, it was this place where, let's say, uh, let's say Bobby and I are at the gym and we're working out and Bobby accidentally hits me in the head with a barbell and I die, right? That's pretty plausible if you've ever seen me at the gym. Uh, I get hit with lots of things, right? And so, um, so let's, say, let's say that happens. Bobby hits me. It was an accident, but he hit me, and I'm dead on the ground. Well, all of a sudden, uh, you know, my family, G2, he is riled up, and he wants blood. In the Old Testament, he could take it, right? Like, they're allowed to. And so, so G2's ready to, to kill Bobby because you killed my dad. And so Bobby would have to go to the city of refuge and he would run to the city of refuge. When he would get to the city, he would stand at the gates, which is where the the government was, where the elders were of the city. And he would plead his case. He would tell them the whole story. He would lay it all out for them and he would say exactly what happened. And then what they would do is they would bring him into their city and they would protect him from G2. So G2 couldn't have anything to do with Bobby. And and this this would give Bobby a chance to have a, a fair trial, because if they had a fair, if they had a trial in trustful, knowing how many of you uh, go to the gym with me and you love me and, and you don't like Bobby that much. And so, so you would obviously side with us, right? And so Bobby wouldn't get a fair trial, but if he goes off to the city, he can get a fair trial. And, and, and at that point he gets, um, he gets, you know, his freedom in this situation. But then the other thing it said that I thought was interesting is it said that Bobby needs to stay in that city, He's given a place to live and to abide in that city um, as long as the high priest is alive. And once the high priest dies, then Bobby's free to, to leave if he wants to. 
And so as I was reading through that and I was going over that, and, and to be honest with you, like I said, in my Bible reading, it takes me through all of the Old Testament. Well, this pops up multiple times in the first five or six books of the Old Testament. This, this idea pops up a lot. And so after a while, I was like, man, this is getting really old. I know everything about cities of refuge. I could care less about them, you know. And then all of a sudden it hit me for this message. It was God speaking to me that these cities of refuge are exactly something we need to be thinking about, something we need to be um, implementing in our lives as parents. So we've been talking about parenting all along. Today, guys, if you're a parent, I'm going to give you a thought that you need to incorporate into your parenting. As a church, here's something we need to incorporate. And then as individuals, maybe those of us that have sinned, those of us that have problems, those of us that have issues, especially, and not that we're going to point anyone out, but especially if someone has had, maybe you're listening today, if you've had an abortion or you've considered abortion or you feel, you know, you've had some issue when it comes to that, um, then there's some thoughts in here for that too. So, so there's three things that a city of refuge is. And, and the first thing a city of refuge is, is it's a safe place to confess. It's a safe place to confess. Joshua 20 verse four, it says when they flee to one of those cities, they are to stand in the entrance of the city gate and state their case before the elders of that city. Listen, as a parent, I need to provide a safe place for my kids to confess. I need to provide it. So what happens is sometimes we tell our kids as parents, we say, hey, listen, you can tell me anything you ever want to tell me. If you do anything wrong, if something ever happens, you can always come talk to dad. And then they come to dad and they say, dad, I wrecked your car. And we go ballistic, right? We go nuts. And, and, and so we get so mad and we get so upset. And what we've done is immediately we've shut down that safe place because now that kid associates. If I confess, I get in trouble and someone gets mad at me. I'm not saying that there aren't consequences to our actions. We said a few weeks ago, you can't rescue your kid from every consequence. We need to allow consequences to come. That's proper and that's good for us to grow and mature. But at the same time, there's got to be a place where someone can come confess their problem or their issue without getting the hammer dropped on them every single time. And so the Bible says that, a, that the city of refuge was a place where someone could come and confess. They could come and confess and they could, they could find um, justice. They could find justice. Listen, there's a difference in a person that's willing to confess versus a person that gets caught. It's a lot easier to restore someone that's willing to confess and be open and honest than it is to restore someone that's willing to cover everything up and hide the truth. And so it's an interesting dynamic here where we've got to provide, as parents, I've got to provide a safe place for my kids to be able to come and confess. If I want to help them, if I want to restore them, if I want to see life given to them, I've got to provide that safe place. I was, I was watching, I mean, reading some stuff, and this will tie into the next part too, but I was reading some just testimonials. Whenever I was preparing for this message, I just, I just looked up uh, the idea of, of abortions. I, I came across this, this article, and it, it wasn't a Christian uh, article. And, and I keep saying that because I think sometimes we think, oh, well, everything that we read, you know, if you always read only Christian things, it's, it's going to be slanted that way. But, but I want you to understand that, that this is an unbiased article. And so this was just someone talking about giving testimonials of, of what happened, why they got an abortion. And, and this one girl was saying that, that she got pregnant. She was 15 years old. She got pregnant, her and her boyfriend. Um, and, and she went and she told her parents. And whenever she told her parents, um, instead of her parents 
trying to help her and trying to love her. Her parents got extremely mad at her. And I understand that. I understand the, the idea of being hurt. I understand the idea of being broken as a parent. We don't want our kids to do something wrong. But, but the parents got upset and they immediately begin to tell her, you have to abort this baby. That was their first step, was immediately begin to tell her. They, they begin to tell her how ashamed they were of her. And, and she just goes through this whole list of how she felt um, abandoned by her parents. And then, and then her boyfriend told her the same thing. And, and, and eventually she felt abandoned by her boyfriend. And, and just in life, she felt totally alone and abandoned. She said her dad wouldn't speak to her until after she'd had the abortion. And then he acted like everything was okay. I just want you to get a mindset here whenever we tell kids, hey, it's okay for you to come talk to me. We need to be a safe place to confess. We've got to be a place because whenever someone comes to you and confesses, again, it's different than whenever you catch them, right? How many of you have ever been caught doing something? No one wants to admit that, but I've been caught plenty of times, right? And there's a big difference whenever you get caught. When I got caught doing something, it didn't necessarily stop me from doing it ever again, it just stopped me in the moment, right? Like in that moment, I take my hand out of the cookie jar. In that moment, I'm like, yeah, I don't want to do that anymore. But in reality, I thought my mindset is one of, hey, how can I do this again without getting caught? Like we automatically, our brains just automatically go to, I can do this again, but this time I'll be smarter, right? I'll be smarter in my sin. But whenever you confess, whenever you're willing to, to submit and you're willing to lay everything on the line, it's a whole different ball game. It's a different mindset. It's a different heart. And so whenever someone comes to confess, um, we've got to be that place that can be safe for them to confess. The second thing a city of refuge is, is a city of refuge is a place of rescue and restoration. I'm going to read Numbers 25, uh, I mean 35 verse 25 again, but I'm going to read it in a different version. I want you to look at the wording here. It says, and the congregation shall rescue the manslayer from the hand of the avenger of blood and the congregation shall restore him to to his city of refuge. Rescue and restore. So if the first one, a safe place to confess, was really lean towards the parents, I'm going to lean this one towards the church. As a church, we have to be willing to rescue and restore people that come in that are hurt, that are broken, that, that maybe, maybe they're, they're pregnant and they didn't plan on it. And listen, this isn't all about pregnancy. It's not all about abortion. It can be any sin, any issue. I think sometimes in church what we do is, is there's lots of churches that, that they either say they accept you just the way you are and you don't have to change until you do something so crazy that they have to kick you out. Or someone comes into church and we don't like your lifestyle and we immediately begin to push you away from us. But the Bible says here that the congregation shall rescue the manslayer and shall restore that person. In those testimonials that I was reading, in, in time and time again, the constant themes in the testimonials were, were themes of depression, themes of shame, themes of abandonment, uh, themes of loneliness. And, and in a lot of those, they were people that were in church. These are young girls that are in church. And they feel like they can't tell anybody anything. They feel like they have to hide everything. They feel like nobody loves them. Nobody cares for them. This one girl said, my boyfriend said I had to get an abortion. He, that, that the only way I could stay with him was to get an abortion. She was 15 years old. Now listen, as, as a 15 year old, I remember when I was 15, my kids, I got a, a 16 and a, and a 14 right now. And, and 15 year olds just don't think straight all the time. If you're 15, I apologize, but it's true. We don't think straight all the time. 
And this girl's, this girl's seeing this guy thinking that this guy's going to be with me forever, right? He's going to be with me forever. And the guy says, if you don't get an abortion, I'm not staying with you. So she goes, she gets the abortion, and the guy still breaks up with her. It didn't matter. Who's going to rescue that baby? I'm not talking about the one in her womb. I'm talking about the one on the outside. Who's going to rescue that little girl? And not only rescue her, who's going to restore her? See, that's where the congregation comes in. That's where the family comes in. Listen, as a family, as a church family, we have to be willing to rescue and restore. Rescue and restore. Jude tells it like this. He says, and you must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. I love that. I love the fact that Jude, who is a brother of Christ, Jude says, hey, there's some folks, you got to just snatch them out of the flame. Like, like you know they're going down. You know they're going to get hurt. you got to go in and you can't care what they think. you got to snatch them out of the flames, right? And, and so there's a place where we got to snatch people up. But he says you got to show mercy to people whose faith is wavering. They're not sure what they're going to do. They might be falling into sin. They might be struggling in their faith. And he says you got to have mercy on those people. you got to love them. you got to snatch them by rescuing them. Then he says, show mercy to still others, but do so with great caution, hating the sins that contaminate their lives. I love the fact that Jude says, you got to have mercy, you got to rescue, you got to restore, but it doesn't mean that you've got to accept the sin. Now people always quote, uh, love the sinner, hate the sin. They think that's Jesus. It was actually Gandhi, right? Like he wasn't even a Christian. But the idea is still true. We need to love the people. You've got to rescue the person. You may not agree with their lifestyle. You may not agree with what they've done. Yes, they may have had an abortion. Or, or, or yes, they may be addicted to, to drugs. Or yes, they, they may have a, a you know, they, they're looking at porn. Or, or maybe they've cheated on their spouse. Or maybe they've stolen. Or they're a liar. Yes, they may have some sin that you don't agree with. And you're not going to affirm that sin. But you still got to love that person. That person is still without Christ and they've got to be rescued. They've got to be brought in. We can't keep shoving them to the back row. We've got to love them, man. We've got to rescue them. We've got to restore them. We've got to find a way to restore them. But listen, can I tell you something? They're never going to ask for restoration until they know there's a safe place for them to confess. That's why people, 70%, of women that get abortions in North America sit in church every Sunday morning and nobody knows because they know as soon as they say something, they're going to get a scarlet letter painted on them. They're going to be an outcast. We've got to give people a safe place. One of the things that we do here at our church, and I always encourage this, and I don't know how it's going to work today, um, Every so often as a pastor, I have a good plan. And then most of the time I don't. So we just kind of wing it and see what happens. But, but we always like to have prayer at the end of a message. Because you never know what someone's going through. And we always like to have prayer with people and allow them a place where they can confess and say, Hey, listen, my life is messed up. I've done something. I, I need someone to pray with me. What that is, is that's allowing people an opportunity to say, Hey, this is a safe place. I know I can go there to be rescued and restored. That's our goal. That's our goal. The third thing that a, that a um, city of refuge is, is it's a reflection of Jesus. Now, if you've ever studied the Bible, you need to understand one thing. 
everything in the Old Testament is a type or symbol or reflection of what's going to happen in the New Testament. So there's a lot in the Old Testament that represents Jesus in the New Testament, right? So, so things like if you were to ever study the temple in the Old Testament, right? If you ever study the temple, in the temple there's like you, you go in and one of the things that you go past is you go past an altar where, where um, you sacrifice a lamb, right? That represents what? Jesus dying on the cross, being sacrificed. And that blood was sprinkled on the sinners whenever they would take the lamb and they would sacrifice him for their sins. They would sprinkle the blood on them. That represents the blood of Christ that the Bible says covers our sins, right? in, In the Old Testament, you go into the temple, there's a big wash basin where you would go and wash your hands. What does that represent? It represents baptism. And so, so there's all kinds of things throughout the Old Testament that represent things in the New Testament. And these cities of refuge are no different. They represent Christ. From the Old Testament to the New. And and here's what I want you to look at. It it says this. Numbers 35, 26 and 27. I'm just going to read maybe 28. I don't know if I put that on there or not. But if the accused ever goes outside the city limits of refuge to which they fled, the avenger of blood finds them outside the city. And the avenger of blood may kill the accused without being guilty of murder. The accused must stay in the city of refuge until the death of the high priest. Only after that death of the high priest may they return to their own property. Something I want you to notice here. I'm going to give you two more verses. 1 Peter 5, 8 says this, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And then in John 15, which is where we're going to go next, Jesus gives us this idea that he calls abiding. And to abide means to live in. And Jesus says this, that you have to abide in me. And I'm going to read it to you in just a second, but I want you to get it whenever I read it to you. I want you to listen to some key words that he's going to say, because here's the thing about abiding in Christ. Jesus is basically saying, I'm like the city of refuge. If you want to be rescued from the hand of the devourer, there is an enemy that is roaring around. He's walking around looking for someone to devour. He's looking for a young girl or a young guy that has just walked through an abortion and is covered in guilt and shame that is totally abandoned by their family. He's looking for that person so that he can absolutely destroy their lives. He's looking for the drug addict that's so strung out and can't ever get themselves right. That keeps going back over and over and over again. He's looking for you to destroy your life. He's looking for that young man or that young woman that that, that can't stop uh, sleeping with their boyfriend or their girlfriend. Even though they know it's not right. He's looking to destroy you. And Jesus says, but I'm like a city of refuge. Here's what I want you to do. Abide in me. In the city of refuge, they said, stay in the city. You guys can come up, John. Stay in the city as long as the high priest is alive. Did you know that Jesus, the Bible says, is our high priest? And he never dies. He lives forever. So how long can I stay in Christ? I can stay with Christ forever. Here's what Jesus says in John chapter 15. Remain in me and I will remain in you. Some places he uses the word abide in me and I will abide in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine. And you, can't, uh, you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. 
Verse 5, yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is, is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. In other words, Jesus is saying, listen, you've got to remain in me. There's an enemy out there that wants to burn you. There's an enemy out there that wants to take you. But you've got to remain in me. Verse 7, but if you remain in me and my words remain in you... You can ask me anything you want and it'll be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my father. Verse nine says this. I have loved you even as a father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Just as I obey my father's commandments and remain in his love. We have to remain in him. We have to remain in him beyond the altar call. We got to remain in him beyond the emotion. We got to remain in him beyond that initial good feeling. I don't know about you. I grew up in church. Maybe you didn't grow up in church. I grew up in church. My whole life, I was, my dad was either a pastor or a missionary. So I was always in church for something, right? We had Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Tuesday night prayer meeting, uh, Thursday night, probably had to do something. I don't know. We we're always doing something. And I remember being in church my whole life, and I remember not being perfect. Um, I know some of you look at me right now, and you're like, that guy has it all together. (laughs) Little do you know, right? Little do you know. And so I would struggle, and I would have issues, and I would have problems. And and I remember um, feeling so much guilt and shame. And and I remember going to church on Sunday morning and just sweating, you know, just be like, oh, man, I'm so bad, and I've done something so wrong. And and I remember as as a young guy, and I would be in church on Sunday morning, and I would go down, and I would pray at the altar, God, please forgive me. And I would get done praying, and I would feel so good, and I would go back on Sunday night. I always had Sunday night to fall back on because Sunday night, you already feel good. So Sunday night service was, you know, it was awesome. You know, it was great. And then by the next Sunday morning, I would be feeling bad again because all I did is I lived from emotional high to emotional high. I lived from from that little bit of peace to that little bit of peace. And I never really got anything changed. I never confessed to anybody. I would just go down and say, would you just please pray for me because I've done some things wrong. Right. I never really dealt with anything that was really going on. And so I wouldn't really remain in Christ. I just like to hang around the outside. I I like to be able to still do what I want to do and and not have to do what he wants me to do. And so I stayed on the outside. And boy, did the enemy just play tricks on my mind. I never did remain. But Jesus says this. He says three things we need to remain in. He says remain in my love. Remain in my love. Remaining in his love means I'm remaining in his forgiveness. Remaining in his forgiveness. That, that not only am I receiving his forgiveness for me, but then I also, I also learn how to forgive myself. I also learn how to walk past some of that stuff and get out of that guilt and shame cycle that I'd put myself in. He says remain in his word. You know, as a, as a young guy, I... I I wasn't as faithful to reading God's word because, well, back then I didn't have an app on my phone. I didn't have a phone back then. Like back then the phone was like you picked it up, right? And you pressed some buttons. It it sure as heck didn't read the Bible to you, you know, 
And so now, you know, the, I, I've got it so easy and the Bible will just read itself to me. And I just, I can consume God's word so much easier. Back then I didn't and, and, and I just didn't remain in his word. And so I just kept falling back into this cycle. But Jesus says, remain, if you remain in me and my words remain in you. Listen, his word doesn't need to just be in you. Anybody can memorize the Bible. Jonathan, Pastor Jonathan was... Um, when he was a kid, he was in the uh, Bible quiz team. Yes, there is such a thing as a Bible quiz team. And yes, he was that much of a Christian nerd, right? Like Bible quiz, and they would have little buzzers, and they would go to competitions, and someone would be like, John chapter 10 says the enemy will come to kill, steal, and beep, 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 destroy. You know, and the 10 points for Jonathan. You know, so, so he was on that team. And listen, he and I both know lots of people that were on the Bible quiz team that knew the Bible, but they don't live the Bible. The Bible was in their mind somewhere, but it wasn't abiding. And, and, and I don't know why I chose this, this translation today that says remain, because honestly, the word abide, I like a lot better because the word abide literally means to live, to dwell, to create a home. Listen, God's word, his love, first of all, has to create a home inside of you. His love has to live in you. And then his word has to live in you. And then it says this, it says, just as uh, he says, obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in His love. There's this place of submission which leads us to a place of remaining or abiding in Christ. See, when, when that guy would run to the city of refuge, he had to submit to the city. He had to say, I'll live here in your city where you tell me to live I will live. What you tell me to do, I will do. I'll obey your laws. I'll obey your commandments. Whatever you guys want from me, I'll give you everything I've got. Because otherwise, I'm outside the city and there's a guy looking to kill me. Right? So I will come into your city and I will completely submit. And what Jesus is looking for today, he's not looking to be heavy handed with you. He's not looking to drop the hammer on you. But he is looking for people whose hearts are willing to submit. The Bible says that he wants us to have a soft, pliable heart, not a hard heart of stone. He wants you to be soft and pliable. How do I do that? I abide in his love. His love abides in me. I abide in his word. His word abides in me. I obey his commands. And when I obey his commands, they bring me life. And I can live in his love. Once you stand up with me this morning, before Shailene comes, we are going to have a time of prayer. If you would, just close your eyes with me this morning. Find a place where you can talk to God. Listen, I'm not your priest today. I don't stand in the place of God for you. That's, that's up to you. You got to talk to him today. And here's what I want you to ask him. I just want you to begin to ask him on your own. Just begin to ask him, say, Holy Spirit, what are you trying to say to me today? What is it that you're trying to get through to me today? What is the, what is the one word? What is the one concept? What is the one thought today that you're trying to get through to me? Where is it that you want me to change? What is it that you want me to do?
Maybe you haven't been abiding in him. Maybe you haven't been living in that city of refuge today. Maybe, maybe you've just moved from emotional high to emotional high. Maybe you've just gone from church service to church service trying to feel good about yourself. But at the end of the day, nothing ever lasts. And it's because you're not abiding in him. Maybe today you're saying, I, I, I want to be the kind of guy, I want to be the kind of girl that rescues and restores. Or maybe you're the one that says, I need to be rescued and restored. Or maybe this morning you're saying, I want to be the kind of person that's willing to have a safe place of confession. I don't know what it is God's saying to you. I don't know what it is he's speaking to you today. But if you need prayer today, we want to pray for you. We want to take a minute. We want to pray for you. And we want to ask God to do a work in your life. Just like that baby, uh, Joshua, in South Africa right now, that God is doing a work in his life. Listen, he wants to do that in you today. For some of us today, it may not be a physical work. It may be a spiritual work. Maybe your life is the one that's incomplete like that baby's was. Maybe your life is the one that people are saying, you need to just abort him. The enemy wants to abort you. And you need to be restored today. If that's you, I want to pray with you this morning. I want to pray with you this morning. As a matter of fact, if I could, Gary and Sarah, would you guys come down to the front? Perry, would you and Anna come right over here for me? Paul and Vicki, will y'all come right down here to the front? If you need prayer this morning, here's what I'm going to do. Shailene's about to come up. She's going to share with us about love life. But I want to pray for you this morning. So God, right now, I just pray for everybody in this room. And I just pray if somebody needs you this morning, if they need prayer, if they need a touch, if they need uh, your hand to minister to them, I pray that they would step out of their seat today. I pray that they would come find you, that they would find help in, in a safe place. Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you for this day. We just ask that you would bless us today. Bless us with your love. Bless us with your forgiveness today. I just pray that, that as we give our lives to you, as we submit all that we have to you, God, we step into that city of refuge today. And not only do we step into it, God, we want to become a part of it. God, we want to be, as a church, we want to be a city of refuge for those that are hurt and broken and abandoned. God, as parents, we want to be a city of refuge for our own kids, God, that, that we know there's going to be times they're going to mess up, they're going to go through some stuff. And so, God, we want to be that city of refuge for them to restore them and rescue them. And so, God, I just pray that today you would do a work in our lives. Don't let us leave here the same. Transform us and change us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Why don't you have a seat for me this morning? Thank you so much. We're going to turn it over to Shailene for just a few minutes and let her share with you her heart for love life and what we're doing. Thank you so much. Pastor Gabriel, that was great. City of, uh, City of Refuge, how wonderful that is to be a city of refuge for those that are hurting and broken, needing restoration. That is perfect. And thank you for having me here today. Thank you for partnering with Love Life. This is what uh, we call your adoption week. It's week number 15. <laughs> and uh, so thank you for partnering with Love Life. This, uh, your message is just, it's hard for me to go by this script because I just want to preach, but I'm going to go by this script. And right now we're going to, uh, see what it looks like from a house of refuge. And that's, that's what we call our churches that partner with us after the, um, prayer walk. We're believing for a shift in culture so that families stop running to the abortion clinic and start running to the church, um, just like this one, when they find themselves in an unplanned pregnancy. The church will end abortion. 
the politicians and legislature will follow. Let's take a look at the reality of abortion in our city. We must know the tragic truth. Abortion is the number one cause of death in our city and in our region. Not cancer, not heart disease, not gang violence. This is the leading cause of death. In 2021, there were 42 million babies slaughtered through abortion in one year around the world. The next cause of death is 13 million. There have been years that are as high as 73 million in a year. Abortions are allowed up to 20 weeks here in Alabama. 17,000 babies are killed weekly in America, and 120 babies a week here in Alabama. In 2020, 210 abortions happened in the first five months that the brand-new 13,000-square-foot Planned Parenthood opened on 1st Avenue North and 11th Street, where we're going to be praying on Saturday. And two out of five women who, are, who go to church every Sunday, not just the 70% that, that identify as a Christian, but we met a young woman on Monday morning, her and, and the father of her child, uh, coming had an appointment for an abortion, and they went to church on Sunday. But we were there. We weren't even scheduled to be there, my ministry partner and I, to do some sidewalk counseling. And baby Kyla was born in December because there was a Christian presence out there. Um, one out of four men and women will have an abortion in their lifetime. That's 25%. Of, of the population. And we believe that this is more of a man's issue than a woman's issue. We believe that if men stood in their proper place to protect women and children, then they would not be running to the abortion clinic. And so we're calling men to rise up and take a bold stand for life. The problem is not the darkness. The problem is the absence of light. Now, I just want to speak to you. If you have had an abortion in your past, please hear me. We are not here to bring shame or condemnation, but healing and restoration. That is who Jesus is. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Do not let Satan whisper lies in your ear. You are a new creation. He died for each one of us. We offer abortion recovery for women, for men. We offer abortion recoveries for family members of those who suffer trauma of someone else's abortion. I have suffered the trauma of abortion. I had an abortion at 16. My dad said, you're, gonna, you're too young to be pregnant, so you're going to have an abortion. I went along with it. My way out was just to say no, but I went along with it. So when I got pregnant at 18, well, I knew what to do. I went and had an abortion. Again, when I turned 20, I knew what to do. I had been taught. I had my third abortion. And then at 24, see, the cycle just didn't end. I wasn't discipled. No one told me the truth. And so at 24, I had my fourth abortion. 
But through abortion recovery, I can stand here in front of you today, healed by the blood of Jesus, and not fear what man think of me. And it took healing. It took abortion recovery. See, I was forgiven in 2006 when I accepted Jesus Christ into my heart. So I thought I was okay. I was forgiven. I didn't. He told me, daughter, my son Jesus died for you uh, when I asked for forgiveness of my abortions. But then 10 years later, when I, you know, but for 10 years, it was a secret. I didn't talk about it. I didn't have to talk about it. Jesus forgave me. I didn't have to tell anybody my, my dirt. But then when I went through abortion recovery, well, now I'm here to tell everybody my story so that, it, so that others don't follow in my footsteps. So um, God wants to use us, wants to use you to bring life to others. So we believe Matthew 16, 19, that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. We know that he has given us the keys to the kingdom. Whatever we bind on earth will be... Um, um, bound in heaven, and whatever we loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And it is a co-laboring with the Lord that he so desires. He calls us to be the pillar and foundation of truth, not politicians, not CNN, not social media. He tells us that we're to be a city set upon a hill and that we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. We are here to help mobilize the church of Jesus Christ. So let's take a look at the last four years of Love Life. Love Life started in 2016. So there's been, so they, they update this on me. My notes say 3,500, but weekly we get these numbers updated, and so they update it. So 3,975 babies have been saved, and a lot of those families are choosing salvation. And they're saved because there's the Christians were out there to offer men and women going into the clinic a different way. We're there to offer them the hope and love of Jesus Christ and the help of the local church. That's all we do. And that happens. There's up to a 70% drop in abortions on days that we're praying and fasting, which is Wednesday, and then praying on Saturday. Uh, a lot of clinics in the nation are open on Saturday. We just happen to not be open here in Birmingham on Saturday. And I'm going to go ahead and, and add this, some good news. I don't even know if I've told you yet, Pastor Gabriel, but um, as of two weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, Birmingham is a abortion-free. Planned Parenthood is not doing abortions in Birmingham. They are, they are doing abortion referrals. They are still open. There is still men and women going to the abortion clinic, going to Planned Parenthood, looking for an abortion. So we still need to be out there and praying until that clinic is closed down and turned into a life center. So we still need to be there. Anything could change. But that's the power of prayer. This is a brand new 13,000 square foot building with lots of money that can't get it staffed. And abortionists won't move to Birmingham because of our laws that's going to uh, come into play. So, and we know that's the power of prayer. So, so don't think just because we're, we're abortion-free right now that we can celebrate and leave it there. We still need churches to become a house of refuge for the men and women who are facing unplanned pregnancy. So we have um, 108,000 people have prayer walked. 
uh, actually, today it's 113,000. If we have over 500 partnering churches across the U.S., from California to Florida, New York, Washington, um, we have 36 abortion workers have left the industry. They've walked out and said, I can't do this anymore. Uh, the, God removed the veil off their eyes. And 3,170 people have connected beyond the prayer walk. Shelly in the video, she connected beyond the prayer walk and became a mentor. So this is your adoption week. You've heard the vision and the tragic truth. And now we're going to give you a chance to respond. Our four-step process is here, pray, go, connect, which is based out of Nehemiah 1 through 3. If you know the story about Nehemiah and the wall, he, um, the first step is to hear. He heard about the wall. And that's what you're doing today through this message and Pastor Gabriel's message. And we want to educate you on what God's word says about life, what his heart, and also uh, what is the tragic truth. We don't want you to stop there with education. We want to call you to action. We want to get you outside of these walls. This Wednesday is step two. Prayer and fasting. This is a spiritual battle that must be fought with spiritual weapons. So we ask that you pray and fast. Some, you know, fast breakfast, some fast breakfast lunch, um, some fast all day. It's it's your choice. Excuse me. And then we invite you to come out to the prayer walk on Saturday, and that is the Gopis, to join us. And and Pastor Gabriel is going to go with us and go to the darkest place in our city to do a prayer walk together and call heaven down on that place. Believe me, we will see miracles take place as we see the church show up to this mission field. This is not a protest. This is a peaceful prayer. It is a family event. The final step is to connect. See, Nehemiah got the 12 tribes across denominational lines out there to repair the wall. Our wall is the abortion clinic. So we're getting the church out there to repair that wall and and bring it down. So we simply give you a way to stay connected beyond your adoption week. And we will train you on your place on the wall. 1 John three sixteen and 18, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. We don't want to just leave you with more knowledge. We ask you, so now we have the code of conduct. We ask you to not engage with anyone. There will be people walking. We are in uh, downtown on First Avenue. And so we have people trained to talk to the people that will be walking. Uh, There's homeless, a little bit of homeless in that area. Um, If you prefer more interaction and believe that is what you're called to do, you can receive proper training through one of our partnering ministries. Love Life prohibits the possession or use of firearms or weapons except as state state and local laws allow. So now we have the, um, there's a commitment card. Let's see, I brought one up here. In the seats. We put one in every other seat. On the back of the commitment card is a QR code. If you could go ahead and either take out your phone and commit. All this is, is this is an RSVP to say that you will come to the prayer walk. And if you don't want, if you, you know, can't do the QR code, on the front, if you'll fill out the front, your name, phone number, and email, 
All you're doing is committing. If you could come Saturday, will you please do that? This will enable you to receive a series of emails. Um, one, thank you, thanking you for committing, reminding you Wednesday to fast and pray with some scriptures and, and some topics to pray about. And then Friday, you'll get an email with the details for Saturday. You can also visit the table and download the Love Life USA app and commit that way. We believe the Church of Jesus Christ is the answer. We invite you to take part in this journey by joining us and and being a voice for the voiceless. I don't know if you scanned that card. I did. It works. Um, I want to invite you to come down with us. So Saturday morning, we're going to have a van leave from here if you want to come down uh, Saturday morning, I think the van's going to leave here at 8.30 in the morning. Um, if, if you want to just come and follow the van, you can. It only takes 15 people. So some of you have to follow. Uh, Pastor Jonathan and I will already be down there. We'll be down there waiting on you. So, uh, so we would love to have you guys join us this Saturday if you want to come pray with us. It won't be long. Um, actually, myself, Anna, and Sophia went uh, to try it out one Saturday last year. And really enjoyed it. It was it was nice. So we would love to have you guys come with us on this thing. Okay? Thank you. Thank you so much. Please come visit Jewel, my ministry partner here and I at the table. And we can answer any questions that you may have. Thank you for your time. Let's give her a hand. You can be dismissed today.